0: Welcome once again to the Perimeter Church Podcast. We know that we're expected to work, and work seems like a simple topic, but have you ever wondered whether or not there's a Christian way to do your job? What if you hate your job? Can you love it a bit too much? Teaching team member Bob Cargo continues the series Calling with this message entitled Called to Work covers Genesis chapter 2, verses 15, and Colossians chapter 3, verses 23 and 24. Thank you for joining us today. As we turn to God's Word, let's stop and let's,
1: uh, let's uh, pray for a moment, okay? Lord, we ask you now to uh, bring our hearts to focus on Christ Jesus. We ask you that you would take your scriptures and the truth of your scriptures and by your spirit speak to our hearts, and we pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. On the screen, you're going to see a picture of John Coltrane, arguably one of the greatest jazz musicians of the 20th century. He was born in 1926 in North Carolina, died at the age of 40 in New York City from liver cancer. But if you like uh, jazz saxophone, probably there's no one that's ever touched uh, what John Coltrane was able to do. In 1964, rather, He uh, recorded an album entitled uh, Love Supreme. A Love Supreme, great title. And in the liner notes about that album, this is what John Coltrane said. During the year 1957, I experienced by the grace of God a spiritual awakening which was to lead me to a richer, fuller, more productive life. At that time, in gratitude, I humbly asked to be given the means and privilege to make others happy through music. I feel that this has been granted through his grace, all praise to God. This album is a humble offering to him, an attempt to say thank you, God, through our work as we do in our hearts and with our tongues. May he help and strengthen all men in every good endeavor, saying thanks to God through our work. Now, I would suggest to you that here was a man who felt called of God to do what he did in his work of performing, writing, arranging jazz music. I think that God wants every one of us to feel that kind of pleasure and meaning in what we do in our work, whether it's work we get paid for or other kinds of work as well. We're in a series here in the church, a five-week series entitled Calling, Calling, And in that series so far, we have talked about one primary calling that is the primary calling of our lives. It defines us, and it defines every other calling that we have, and that is the calling to follow Christ. And we said that that calling to follow Christ is like the calling that all of our other callings hang upon. In this series, we're going to look at four callings that God has given to us. Four callings that we have. Last week, we looked at the calling to family. The next two weeks after today, we're going to talk talk about two callings that we have as followers of Jesus. And today we look at a calling that all people have because all of us are made in the image of God and that is the calling to work. The calling to work. Let me ask you, do you feel that your work is connected to God? The way you think of it, the way you feel about it, the way you behave in it, the way you go about it, that there's a connection between your work in the God of this universe, the God that has saved you if you're a follower of Jesus. The truth of the matter is, God cares about your work because you're made in his image. You see, there are two extremes we could go to on this topic of calling and work. One extreme we could go to is to think that the only kind of calling we have is the calling to work, that this is the calling that defines us. Not so, says the Bible. It's the calling to Christ that defines us. That is the central calling. The other extreme we could go to is to think that there's no connection at all between our Christian faith and our work. No connection. And that's not true either. God cares deeply about your work. You're a worker because you're made in his image. And if you're a follower of Jesus, that connects as well to your work, following Jesus and what you do in your work. You need to know that today's sermon is built upon a series that David and Ely and I did last May and June called, What Do You Work For? Your Place in a Larger Story. That series is sort of the foundation for today's sermon. So if you missed it, you may want to go back and check it out. It's sort of foundational for what we're going to say. Today's message is another one of these topical sermons like last week. It's not built by drilling down deep in one passage. It's built from looking at a theme throughout the scriptures. So we're gonna look at a number of passages at the beginning and then we're gonna form things around four questions about calling and about work. We're gonna spend most all of our time on the first two questions. The last two questions we're gonna look at in just about five minutes at the end of the sermon. We're gonna go quickly through it. But even if you're not a note taker, let me ask you to look at this little insert called points to remember. My outline is on the first two panels of this thing. And even if you're not a note taker, it'll sort of be a map to help you know where we're going in this message today, okay? The Bible talks a lot about the topic of work and things that relate to it. We're not going to look at all of them today, but we're going to read just a few as a baseline for today's message. So let me ask you to stand as we read God's Word. We'll be reading from the New International Version. It's about five or six passages very quickly that'll be a baseline of what we have to say. In Genesis 2.15, we see this. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden. Why? To work it and take care of it. At the heart of what it means to be in the image of God is to be a caretaker and a worker in this world. In Exodus 20, we see that the idea of work is right in the middle of the Ten Commandments. It says, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy, that is, resting on the Sabbath day, but six days you shall labor and do all your work. So six days vocation, one day vacation. That's the weekly pattern. Deuteronomy 8, we see that not only does God give work, but when there's prosperity, he's the one that gives the prosperity. When you've eaten and are satisfied, praise the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. You may say to yourself, my power and the strength of my hand have produced this wealth for me. But remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth. In Ecclesiastes, we see it's not only work, but the ability to enjoy our work that comes from God. A man can do nothing better than to eat and drink and find satisfaction in his work. This too, I see, is from the hand of God. For without him, who can eat or find enjoyment? Psalm 127 says there's to be boundaries in our work, and not to infringe upon our families or be hurtful to them, nor to neglect our need for rest. Unless the Lord builds the house, its the builders labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchmen stand guard in vain. In vain you rise early and stay up late, toiling for food to eat. And why is it vain and empty and useless? Because he grants sleep to those he loves. In other words, God's your provider. Don't work frenetically as if you uh, you are the provider for yourself. 2 Thessalonians 3 tells us that the New Testament apostles also mandated that followers of Jesus be workers. For you yourselves know how you ought to follow our example. We were not idle when we were with you. For even when we were with you, we gave you this rule. If a man will not work, he shall not eat. Only two more passages. In 1 Timothy 6, it says we're to work. But the the goal is not to gain wealth necessarily. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. People who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap. And into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. And some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and have pierced themselves with many griefs. And lastly, a central mess passage to today's message. That being redeemed brings a new meaning and motive in our work. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything. And do it not only when their eye is on you and to win their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for men, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. May God bless the reading and hearing of his word. Thank you. Please be seated. We're going to look at four questions today about the topic of work. But those four questions are all... uh, centered around a central idea, the big idea of today's message. I didn't give it to you in print, but here it is on the screen. I want you to listen as I read it the first time, and then if I can, let me impose on you and ask you to read it out loud with me the second time. Here's the big idea of today's sermon. God's redemption of our work and us as his redeemed worker image bearers brings an experience of freedom for which we were created and for which we are now being redeemed. To help us sink in. Would you read it aloud with me, please? God's redemption of our work and us as his redeemed worker image bearers brings an experience of freedom for which we were created and for which we are now being redeemed. Now, what in the world does that mean? We're going to look at four questions to try to unpack the answer to that question, the meaning of that sentence, so to speak. We're going to look at the question how do you find your calling? Have you taken a close look at your heart, and how does this relate to the gospel? But first, we want to start with a question of self-examination, and that's this question. Are you living as a person who is driven, drifting, or are you living as a called person? Are you driven, are you drifting, or are you living as a called person? I would wonder in this room here today, how many of us in relation to our work, we're really drifting We're sort of sleepwalking through our work at this point in our lives. Maybe it's the recent college graduate and you had to take a job, just any job, some job. You'll have to confess that the job you have, you hate. So every day you go to work, you put in the time, but in your heart, you're drifting. Perhaps it's the the midlife middle manager. You've had this job for a while. You're bored in doing it, but there's no opportunity for advancement. And right now you feel so trapped because you need this for the income. You can't let go of the income, you feel. But you're not sure how to go about your job, really. So you're drifting. You're bored. Perhaps it's the person who never really pursued his or her passion. This person simply did what he or she was told to do by their parents or their spouse or their friends. They, they did what seemed logical, what would make money. But their heart's not in it. And for years, they've been drifting through this job. Maybe it's the retiree. And for this retiree, maybe purpose was always connected to a paycheck. And now that there's not a paycheck, there's not a sense of purpose. Maybe it's a stay-at-home mom. And when your kids were little, you felt an exhilaration of your work. But now they're bigger. They don't need you so much, or at least that's the way you feel. Or perhaps you're an empty nester and you're drifting. You're trying to invent things to do every day to take up your time. You've wondered, what is your calling now? Now, in any of those circumstances, maybe the problem is that you're not doing what God really wants you to be doing at this stage of your life. But maybe the problem is that you haven't seen the spiritual meaning for what God does have for you right now where you are. Perhaps you haven't connected the spiritual dots so that there's a proper sense of purpose and meaning and calling But whatever the circumstance, you know in your heart that you're drifting. In relation to this series, David McNeely has quoted Henry David Thoreau, who said, Most men live lives of quiet desperation. Does that describe you at work? You're quietly desperate, and you fantasize every day about doing something else. The other path that we don't want to go down is the path of being driven. Driven. The path of being absolutely consumed toward our work, driven in a dysfunctional way, not called in a healthy and good way. In fact, maybe in our North Atlanta affluent suburbs, maybe this is more the norm than the exception to see people who are living a life of drivenness in their work, not a life of proper calling. Years ago, I read a book that really made a big impact on my life. It's by Gordon MacDonald called Ordering Your Private World. And in that book, he's got several chapters talking about what it's like to be called and what it's like to be driven. In that book, he talks about the symptoms that show us that we may be a person who is driven rather than called. He says, for example, a driven person is often most gratified only by accomplishment. That's what keeps them going. A driven person may be preoccupied with the symbols of accomplishment. A driven person is usually caught in the uncontrolled pursuit of expansion. There's never enough. Driven people sometimes have a limited regard for integrity. They spin things. They cut corners. They become frighteningly pragmatic. Driven people tend to be highly competitive. Often, former athletes, is that you? And driven people are almost always abnormally busy. What I've noticed is they're often very busy in their 20s and 30s and 40s. And if that obsession with work brings enough affluence, they become bored in their 50s and in their 60s. Unless they re-kick themselves into the other bad direction again and reignite a life of drivenness. Let me ask you, are you so desperate to succeed in your work That your family suffers, that your walk with Christ suffers, that your emotional health suffers. Perhaps one of the most extreme examples of drivenness that I've ever heard about or read about is Jimmy Johnson. Jimmy Johnson was the coach of the Miami Hurricanes and then the Dallas Cowboys. And The story goes that on the day that Jerry Jones hired him to be the head football coach of the Dallas Cowboys, Jimmy Johnson took his wife to dinner and fired her. Unbelievable. Here's the quote of what Jimmy Johnson later told a reporter. He said, I told her that night, I can either be the head football coach of the Dallas Cowboys or I can be married to you. And I've decided to be the head football coach of the Dallas Cowboys. Now, right now in this room, every man here feels really good about himself compared to Jimmy Johnson. (laughs) Like, man, I didn't fire my wife. Well, not so fast, my friend, to quote Lee Corso. Let me ask you, have you emotionally been neglecting your wife? Have you, in a sense, emotionally fired her in the relationship? Oh, you're sure, you're, you're not technically leaving her, and you haven't technically fired her. You're just emotionally, relationally, and in the use of your time a long way far from her. Have you perhaps emotionally deserted your children? Have you deserted your walk with Christ? Because there is some professional achievement that has become so consuming to you that you will sacrifice anything and everything to get to it. Is that what's going on in your heart? There's a warning that comes from Charles Spurgeon, a great 19th century British preacher in London. He was a successful man in about 20 different ways. and This is what Spurgeon said. He said, Success exposes a man to the pressure of people and thus tempts him to hold on to his gains by means of fleshly methods and practices and to let himself be ruled wholly by the dictatorial demands of incessant expansion. Success can go to my head and will unless I remember that it is God who accomplishes the work, that he can continue to do so without my help, and that he will be able to make out with other means. Whenever he wants to cut me out. Wow. Ouch. That's some hard medicine to take, some bad tasting medicine. But I'll tell you what, if we're willing to take a spoonful of that warning and swallow it down, we'll live better and we'll feel better. I personally know what it's like to live a life that's driven instead of called. It was at a time in my life that what I was doing, I was called to do, but I was not living like a called person. I was living like a driven person. It was in the sixth year that Margaret Ann and I had been at In-Town Community Church. The church was growing. Our family was growing. Things couldn't have been any more busy. We had talked often about trying to get boundaries in our lives. But one evening in the parking lot of Perimeter Mall, my wife in tears said, Bob, I can't keep this pace. I can't keep going on like we're going. I tried to blow it off like I had before. Yeah, 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 yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll hedge things in. And then in tears, she grabbed my arm and she looked me in the eye and said, you're not hearing me. I can't keep doing it. By the grace of God, God brought people around us and some things that he did in our hearts that brought us back to the middle of the road. There was a sabbatical I had at my seventh year that was instrumental. We rearranged and reorganized our staff that helped me to have boundaries. The elders of the church put some boundaries in my life in terms of work hours that helped me keep things in the middle of the road and to say no to things with a clear conscience and with their support. And very importantly, we attended a conference that helped us understand The centrality of the gospel of grace for all of the Christian life and not just for beginning the Christian life. And through all those things, God kept our marriage out of the ditch. But I have the sad testimony to tell you that I almost ruined our marriage because I was living as a driven person and I was not living as a called person. Is that your story today? Is that where you are for me, I was in the right spot. I was just going about it the wrong way. Gordon MacDonald has said that John the Baptist is a great example of someone who lived as a called person, not as a driven person. John the Baptist said about Jesus, he must increase and I must decrease And basically, the word of John the Baptist was this. It's not about me, and it's not about my name, and it's not about my fame. It's about Jesus and his name and the fame of his name. And basically, what John the Baptist says to us is this, that you can't hang any of these rings on the other rings. You can't hang the other rings on the ring of work. You can't hang all the other rings on the ring of family. You can't even hang the other rings on the ring of evangelism and discipleship. and You can't hang the other rings on the ring of the church. You can only hang the rings on Jesus. It's all about him. He must increase. I must decrease. And when I live everything related around him in that way, things start making a lot more sense. So let me ask you today, where are you in relation to this? Are you drifting in your heart? You put in the time, but you don't. You don't live as God wants you to live. Are you drifting? Are you driven? Or are you living as a called person? Are you living as a called person? Let me ask this question today. How do you find your calling? Second big question of today's message. Once I figure out whether what's going on in my heart, how do I find my calling? And there are two parts of what I want to say here. The first part is very important. that calling begins with the caller. Calling begins with a caller. It all starts with a relationship with Jesus. Jane Pauley, who if you're over 40, you know her name. She's recently written a book called Your Life Calling, Reimagining the Rest of Your Life. And there's one problem with the book as far as I can see. Nowhere in the book does she talk about a caller. That's weird. She talks about a calling, but there's no caller. But for calling to have any meaning at all, there has to be a caller. And the very idea is to stay close to the caller let me give you sort of an analogy. Let's say for some odd reason, you decided to do vacation by going to the jungles of Brazil. You wanted to explore the Amazon basin on your vacation. Not my kind of vacation. Maybe it's your kind of vacation. It might be my son's kind of vacation. He loves that kind of thing. Now, if you were to go into the jungles of Brazil, a map might be good, but a guide is essential, right? <laughs> a map, I'd like to have a map, but I, man, I really want a guide. Why? Why? Because I need the guide to stay with me along the way. When God called Abram out of Haran to go to the promised land, Abram became Abraham. And when God called him to go out, the Bible says that he went forth and obeyed, though he knew not where he was going. Why didn't God tell him the destination? Well, in part because the point was the journey and the relationship with the caller, just as much as it was the destination of where they were going. This last week I was in Starbucks here near the church and the place was really crowded and there were a lot of people talking and I couldn't help but overhear one sentence of a conversation that was going on right next to me as I was uh, standing there next to where the half and half and sugar and all that kind of stuff is. And I overheard a young man saying to one of the staff members of our church, what is especially hard about God is that he so often seems to make his will so hard to understand. And what I wanted to do is walk over to that young man and look him in the eye and and hold his shoulders and say, you know what? I agree 100%. I hate when God does that, you know? (laughs) I hate when God seems to make his will so hard to figure out. And he often does. And why is the reason for that? The reason for that is this. The very point is the relationship with the caller. The very point is to walk with the guide. The very point is to learn to trust him and love him along the way. And so you can't have a calling until you're walking with the caller. That's the most important thing to say. Now, within that context, though, how do you find your right calling in terms of work? Three things I would say, and they are these. You are called where you are. Number two, you are free to pursue a better calling. And three, rest in what God ordains. All three of these are critical. We're going to keep it up for a minute. Right now, where you are, you're called, but you are free to pursue a better calling, something you would love more, but then rest in what God ordains. All three of these are critical. Without the first, there would be no calling unless I find that perfect job that is just right for me. And that is definitely not what the Bible teaches. Where you are today is where you're called to be, at least for today. As a mentor of mine used to to love to say it. The will of God is most often simply to do the task at hand. That is the calling. But without the second one, it means we're trapped. Without the second one, it's like God doesn't pay attention to my particular gifts and abilities and passions and interests. And that's not true true at all. We're free to pursue those things that make our hearts sing. But then thirdly, that's so important, rest in what God ordains. Because without that one... This would just be an endless pursuit always to try to find greener pastures. Tim Keller has a message I listened to recently called Your Plan and God's Plans. And the way he put it is this, that God's guidance is something that he does as much as something that he gives. That's awesome. God's guidance is something that he does as often as something that he gives. In other words, rest in what God ordains. So, yes, pursue your passions, pursue your interests, pursue your dreams, but then rest in what God ordains. A great place we see this is in 1 Corinthians 7. We see in 1 Corinthians 7 that God, in fact, can give us a sense of calling and purpose and meaning in our work in the most dire situations. The Bible doesn't endorse slavery in any way. But the New Testament documents acknowledge that many followers of Jesus were slaves in the Roman Empire, and so their situation is addressed. In 1 Corinthians 7, this is what Paul says, each one should remain in the situation which he was in when God called him, that is when he was converted. Were you a slave when you were called? Don't let it trouble you. Now, he's saying there, even in your your enslavement, in your work, this is a calling of God. And In Colossians 3, Paul goes even further. He says, slaves, obey your earthly masters and everything and do it, not only when their eyes are on you and to win their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for men. So Paul is basically saying even a bad job, even in a very bad job, you can have a sense that you were serving the Lord and you are called to do that and that is his calling for you at least right now. So do it with sincerity of heart. Do it as unto the Lord, even if it feels like enslavement. In your heart you can sing if you're doing it for Jesus. So where you are now, you're called at least for now. But number two, you are free to pursue something else. In 1 Corinthians 7.21, Paul says something that's tremendously significant. He says, were you a slave? When you were called, don't let it trouble you. Although, if you can gain your freedom, do so. You're not trapped. You can seek something better. Go for it. Go for it. And I know that many, many people who are experts in this topic would say, Bob, this is the significant thing to tell people. To look at their passions and their interest and respond to what God guides them from the inside out. So if it's that sense of internal call, that's what, this is what I would say. Look for the passions, abilities, and opportunities that God is giving you. And then evaluate your experiences based upon fruitfulness, honest feedback, and heartfelt fulfillment. Look for your passions and your interests. What is it that when you do it, your heart sings when you do it? What is it that when you do it, The hours feel like minutes. What is it that when you do it, you just can't believe someone would pay you to do it because you'd love to do it for free? That's the thing that shows you from the inside out what your passions are. Now, we have to be humble with that kind of thing. If you or I have an interest to go do something and nobody really wants to hire us to do it, maybe we don't know ourselves very well. I mean, I would love to make a living as a rock and roll rock and roll drummer. I really would. I'd love to do that. But nobody's ringing my number, you know? I'm not that good. I got off that train when I was 16 and I never got back on. It's a little too late to pick it back up. So sometimes I run into people that have a dream, but that dream is, is so far from their opportunities that they're actually going far afield of what God has for them. So look at what your passions are. Look at what your interests are. And then evaluate based upon these things, if you put it back up. Evaluate based upon fruitfulness. Does God give positive results when you do this thing? Evaluate based upon honest feedback. Ask people to tell you the truth. Am I good in doing this or not? Is this what I should pursue or not? And look for heartfelt fulfillment. From the inside, you feel that you're called to do it. The other thing I would say is this, that God's calling will always reinforce your walk with Christ and proper boundaries. If God has called you to do something, maybe you need to do like I did years ago at InTown. I'm called to do it, but I've got to get boundaries around it. I've got to protect my family, my health, my walk with Christ. But it also may be the case That you need to go to another calling to protect your walk with Christ and protect your boundaries. I've been so encouraged by a number of men in this church who have walked away from one job to another because they had come to the conclusion they could not keep that first job and pay attention to their families and their walk with Christ as they should. So rather than live enslaved in that circumstance, they they went to a new calling. So here's the idea. Don't stay in a job just to get paid. Follow the passions of your heart. But on the other hand, don't ruin your walk with Christ. Don't ruin your family for something that is a pipe dream that makes you feel happy and important. Consider all of your callings when you look at what your calling is with work. Bottom line on this is this. You need to rest in what God ordains. Rest in what he ordains. Go for it, but then rest in what he ordains. Let me give you a visual picture to illustrate why you need to rest in what he ordains. Let me show you a few pictures here. This is one image. Do you know what that is? Well, well, I don't either. Here's a second one. you know what what that is? Uh, I don't either. Here's a third one. And here's a fourth one. Okay, you don't know what any of those things are, right? I don't either. But when you put them together, this is what you have. Pretty cool, huh? Here's a little, another close-up of that picture. Here it is again. Here's a close-up. And here is uh, ha- where it hangs in our breakfast room at home. This is the creation of my younger daughter, Callie. She's done this kind of project with, with students. She'll take a drawing just in black and white, cut it, turn it over, draw lines on it, put numbers on it, cut it apart, and then give a square to each of the kids. And then each child starts painting their square. And when they paint their square, they have no idea what they're painting. They have no idea at all. But then when they put it all together and turn it over, it creates a picture. Now, here's the point. You and I are often like, usually like, children who are painting a square. And we're painting away and we're painting away and we don't see the big picture But if we're doing this as unto the Lord, then someday at the end of time, he is going to take my work and your work and all of our work together. And it is going to give praise to the Lamb of God on that day. It will be an offering for him. And it will be, in a sense, a picture of the beauty of his work. So in the meantime, where you are now, you're called, at least for now. See it as a calling from God you want to pursue something better get in touch with your passions your interests your abilities and go for it but be humble as you do and get feedback from other people and then in whatever he ordains whether it's that perfect thing you love or not so much rest in what he ordains and know that when we do our work as unto the lord someday he's going to put it all together and it will give praise to the lamb of god Two last questions to look at, and we'll look at them very quickly. Three is this. Have you taken a close look at your heart? Have you taken a close look at your heart? The greatest book, I think, on this topic is a book by Oz Guinness called The Call. And in that book, he has four chapters in which he talks about how a sense of calling can help us to render powerless or at least to cripple four of the seven deadly sins that can so hinder our hearts. So consider calling and pride, calling in envy, calling in greed, and calling in slothfulness. We'll leave that up for a moment. You see, often it's not our work that kills our hearts. It's these parasites that get attached to our work that kills our hearts. The thing you're doing is something God has made you to do. You could be doing it in the right way for his glory, but instead, Pride or envy or greed or slothfulness has become attached to your work and is killing you, and it's not glorifying God. But if you work with a proper sense of calling, can you see how that renders powerless each of those four things? There's no reason to be prideful in my work if it's come from God by his grace and my abilities come from him and he receives all glory. No pride at all. And there's no reason for envy in my work. If God calls you to do one thing and me to do another, he's the Lord of both of us, and he calls us as he will. No need for envy. And there's also no need for greed. God is going to be the one to meet my needs. And there's certainly no excuse for slothfulness and laziness because we are working for the Lord. And so when you have a proper sense of calling, your heart can come alive Because your heart, the gospel in your heart starts killing these parasites that kill you in the process. The last question is this How does this really relate to the gospel? How does it relate to the gospel? Well, there are two ways. First of all, the gospel provides forgiveness for our failings. And secondly, the gospel brings a new motive, means, and meaning in our work. Forgiveness and a new motive, a new meaning, a new means. Let me first of all define this What is the gospel? The gospel is the good news that through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, he brings to his followers through faith and repentance, he brings us a new record of righteousness before him. He gives us a new relationship with God. We are reconciled. He gives us new hearts because we are born again. He gives us a new holiness because the power of the cross keeps transforming us into the image of Christ. And someday he will give us a new world. There will be a new heavens and a new earth that he brings. That's the good news of the gospel. Now, how does that relate to our work? Well, in these two ways. First of all, it brings a sense of forgiveness. Not a sense of, but it brings real forgiveness for our failings. You see, gospel change never starts with simply trying to do better and be better. Gospel change always starts with confession and repentance and forgiveness. That's always the first step of changing. And so, in relation to our work, we've all been sinners We've made idols out of our work. We've overworked. We've underworked. We've worked for the wrong motives. And so the place to begin is in confession and repentance and being forgiven for how we've sinned against God and other people in our work. But not only does the gospel bring us forgiveness for our work failings, the gospel brings us a new motive and a new meaning for our work and a new means of doing it. What is that new meaning and that new motive? This takes us back to the series that David and I did a few months ago. You're going to see a chart that tells you what the new meaning is. Here's the meaning of our work. In creation, we see that God has always intended intended that my work would matter to him. The fall explains why, why my work is frustrating and hard. But the gospel means that the frustration and hardship of my work will not have the final word. In redemption, we see that Jesus died not just to take me to heaven. He died to redeem my work. He died so that my work would belong to the Lord and that my work would be sanctified, that my work would be holy. So whatever your work is, if you do it as unto the Lord, Jesus died to make your your work as holy as my preaching is holy or as holy as any ministry of any ministry missionary or minister. And lastly, because in the consummation when Jesus returns, we find out that my work and your work, not only does it matter now, it will matter forever. A new meaning, a new motive. And the new means is the power of the cross given to us through the Holy Spirit. You may think that the Father, the Son, and the Spirit will empower you when you do things like share your faith or do churchy kind of stuff. But the Father and the Son and the Spirit want to empower you when you go to do your job tomorrow, whatever it is, a new motive, a new means, and a new meaning to our work. I'll close this message. And by the way, let me say it's good that you can find all these graphics if you want them online this week when the when the sermon is posted, because this has been more like a seminary class and maybe like a sermon. Let me end with two things, uh, statements by people that are a lot smarter than I am. Oz Guinness in the work that I've referenced already has said this, modern life assaults us with an infinite range of things we could do, things we would love to do, or some people tell us we should do. But God's calling is a yes to God that carries a no to the chaos of modern demands. Calling is the key to tracing the storyline of our lives and unriddling the meaning of our existence in a chaotic world. And lastly, these words from C.S. Lewis. He said, the more we get ourselves out of the way, the more ourselves we will become. Let me say that again. The more we get ourselves out of the way, the more ourselves we will become. And how that relates to this topic is this. Don't sit, get so caught up about yourself. The way you will find yourself and find your calling is to set your heart so much on following Jesus. You're passionate for his glory. You're passionate for his fame. And you're responding to the way that he has made you under his lordship. And when you do that, His will will become clear to you when it needs to be and how it needs to be. Stay close to the guide. Stay close to Jesus, and he'll guide you in all your work. Let's pray as we close. Lord Jesus, we confess that we have so often idolized our work. We have thought that we would gain from our jobs or from the money we get from our jobs. Well, really, we can only get from you. So, Lord, we confess that to you today that we've worked for the wrong reasons, we've overworked, we've underworked. But Lord, we thank you that you've died for our jobs. You've died for our labors and our work. And Lord, we want to lift them up to you as an offering. Guide us that we would find that thing that makes our hearts sing. Open the door, if you would, and let us walk through it. But if not, Lord, we lift up our work today as an offering to you. We do it as unto you. And We thank you that it will matter forever. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.
0: You've been listening to the Perimeter Church podcast. Perimeter Church is located at the corner of Highway 141 and Old Alabama Road in Johns Creek, Georgia. Please visit our website at www.perimeter.org for more information, to give us your feedback, and find other messages from our teaching team. Thanks for making this podcast a part of your day.